0: This talk was given by Denya Chike Levister at the Zen Center of New York City. Chike is a senior lay student in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Chi Kei. Um, I am Shi they. Welcome to the Zen Center of New York City. Um, I'm a senior lay student in the Mountains and Rivers Order of Zen Mountain Monastery. I thought that this morning I would talk about our practice in terms of zazen and mindfulness and busyness. You know, the practice of Zen Buddhism, um, you know, some of you are longtime practitioners, you know this, but some folks, it's the first time um, you have stepped foot in our doors. So um, a a warm welcome. And so I thought I'd sort of point to a few things. Um, You know, practicing in Zen Buddhism includes the practice of what we call the eight gates of training. Uh, And they are uh, Zazen. Um, study with a teacher, um, Buddhist study, um, study the, the history um, of the teachings, Buddhism itself, liturgy, which you've all had some experience with this morning, uh, perhaps for the first time, perhaps not, right action, art practice, body practice, and work practice. And so those of us who um, are... Uh, engaged in a full practice are thinking about Buddhism and our practice of our lives in all of these different ways. Um, and Zazen in Zen, in particular, uh, is the entry point for, for all of those gates of practice. And I would say that um, all gates that lead us into exploring, you know, through the most compassionate way to live our lives, are um, wholesome ones and if this practice ends up speaking to you, if this practice already does speak to you, you can enter any of those that resonate with you. Um, I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about this morning and the, th- the theme that kept coming up in my mind was like, it's so busy, <laughs> it's just such a busy world, we're all so busy. And I was sort of thinking about, like, all right, well, how do I practice that? You know, what is, what is it about that that keeps coming up in my head? Why is that such a, a challenging, um, aspect? You know, we have so much to do, you know, and then I seem to see mindfulness everywhere, um, Uh, today, and it seems that mindfulness is often also being equated with Zen practice, like Zen practice is just mindfulness, and I thought, um, uh, I'm a teacher, um, and i uh, an administrator, and I work in a law school, and mindfulness is even one of the modules that students studying for the New York State bar exam. Use like it's so commercialized, like it's literally everywhere, Um, and for good reason, right? It does help reduce stress. Um, It does, in some ways, help us get more work done. You know, there's I have nothing bad to say about mindfulness. Very, very important, but um, it's a little bit of of a pet peeve of mine to equate mindfulness though with Zen, Um, and it and it's certainly that. It's wonderful that Zen itself has become more accessible to folks, um, and mindfulness is wonderful and important to know about and to practice. But here, particularly, we're in a Zen Buddhist temple, uh, and I thought today it would be good to speak a little bit more fully and not to forget that, um, particularly here, uh, what we're talking about when we're talking about Zen Buddhism, it goes well beyond stress reduction. It goes well beyond just paying attention. Important things. But, and. You know, the essence of Zen is not merely about being relaxed or about improvement, right? Um, It's about being awakened. Zen calls for relinquishment. Relinquishment of what? Um, Relinquishness. Relinquishment of the dualism of opposites. Relinquishment of judgments. They get in our way. They cause us suffering. Um, Relinquishment of the ideas of good and bad, pure, impure, self, other. And this relinquishment, when it is total, is said to be the dropping off of body and mind. It's a situation where self-centeredness is vaporized. It is the experience of the end of suffering. It includes an exploration. It's personal. It's a personal exploration for each person, where we, each of us, investigate this thing we call a self to see what we can find out about it. What is this self? What are we doing? Dropping off of body and mind. To be verified by all things is to let the body and mind of the self and the body and mind of others drop off. That is from Genjo Koan by Dogen. Uh, The great master. Dogen lived between 1200 and 1253 and was the Japanese founder of the Soto School of Zen. We are part of that school. And Dogen is revered in Buddhism by Buddhists and philosophers and more than a few scientists too uh, for the depth of his insight into the nature of reality. Dropping off of body and mind is a key phrase in Dogen Zenji's teachings. Uh, this is an expression that was originally used by Dogen's teacher. And I hope I pronounced his name correctly, Tiantang Ruzheng in Chinese or Tendo Nyojo in Japanese. Dogen is attributed as having written that his teacher referred to it this way. Practice, Sazen is dropping off body and mind Dropping off body and mind is zazen. This is an elucidation of practice enlightenment. Through the simplicity and surrender in doing zazen, we surrender body and mind and merge with the universal functioning. By being 100% mindful, merging the I subject with the activity of the moment, we are also dropping off body, and mind. I like that. It sounds simple, though, right? Um, I came to Zen practice because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was. I did know that anger and fear pretty much ruled my life. I didn't know why, though. I just felt furious. And I wanted to understand I wanted to learn what is true. What is true? What is real? I wanted to learn what my life was, and I wanted to learn what my life was for. Zenju Earthlin Manuel in The Sermonic Bones of Zen says, This is her quote Zen practice immediately felt like me. It was not Zen practice as it was and is being talked about by Zen teachers or written about in books. It was not the dogma, the promise of ordination, or the rules of Zen community that drew me in. Despite the practitioners of Western Zen Buddhism being overwhelmingly white and predominantly male at the time of my entrance into the gateway, I experienced an unexplainable peace and transformation with the rituals and ceremonies. These helped. Me, too. I felt like that, too. That was true for me, too, when I entered these gates. Zazen means sitting meditation. It is being oneself with nothing extra, in harmony with the way things are. It is the simple practice of looking directly at life as it is. It is being aware of one's true feelings and thoughts in each moment. Being aware of our feelings and thoughts in each moment. It is doing what Shakyamuni Buddha did under the Bodhi tree 2,500 years ago. Here's what some Zen masters have had to say about Zazen. One inch of sitting one inch of Buddha. Like lightning, all thoughts come and pass. Just one look into your mind depths. Nothing else has ever been. That is Manzan Dohaku. Here's another one. Within every moment of thought, you should see yourself, that your fundamental nature is pure. With every moment of thought, you should see yourself, that your fundamental nature is pure. You should cultivate for yourself, practice for yourself, and accomplish for yourself the enlightenment of Buddhahood. That is Huineng. Zazen originates from the teachings of Buddha who lived in India 2,500 years ago uh, and founded the religion and philosophy of Buddhism. And these teachings were brought first to China um, and then to Japan before coming here to America. And the aim of practice is to let go of all judgments and goals. The meditator is aware of all sensations and thoughts that arise and pass by. Meditation is the practice of seeing things as they really are and being aware that everything is temporary. It allows you to do this by focusing on the present moment. How do we do that? Focusing on the present moment. So, um, Many of you had beginning instruction um, this morning and had just the experience of sitting there and counting or whatever the experience is you were having while you were sitting there and sort of working with the instructions. And your thoughts probably fluctuate, as do mine when I sit still. Everyone's thoughts fluctuate. Moving, sometimes jumping all over the place. We use the stillness of our bodies And the rhythm of our breath to stabilize our mind. That's kind of what we're doing. That's kind of the how, right? Using the stillness, the postures of our mind, centered, upright, but relaxed, stable, to work with our minds. It can't be forced. It cannot be forced. This is not a discipline thing. There's discipline involved in practice overall, but zazen is not a forced thing. Always be gentle with yourself as you seek to quiet and steady your mind. Be kind, be gentle. It's really important. So we're busy folks, especially here in New York City. Maybe we're just busy everywhere. Maybe it's just my city bias. It's like I feel like we're walking around in a hurry, sometimes I'm in such a hurry that I forget that I even have feet. I'm just going to the next place. And sometimes I can find a moment to go like, wow, I don't even realize I'm walking right now. I take a breath and I feel my entire foot as I'm moving, right? These little things. So we struggle with this, I think. You know, many of us, we have like this busyness epidemic almost. You know, and most of us, dare I say all of us, but I'll just say most of us because I can't speak for everyone, have more things that we have to do than we have time to actually do. So, time management has become like a big thing in my life, right? Okay, I got like at home, I am not exaggerating, I have like six different kinds of planners, right? I have like four different templates for to-do lists, right, which I'm always like, which is the right and perfect one? Because, like, if I just get the right planner or I just organize it, maybe maybe I need to write it. No, no, no. I'm going to do it in an electronic version. No, like, it's going to really help me get all my stuff done. Right. So, you know, how we manage time? How am I managing my time? Can I get all my stuff done? You know, and as I was thinking about speaking with, every, with you all this morning, this thought occurred to me that, like, how we manage time is arguably all that our life is. How are we managing our time? Is there something other than that? I don't know. So how to use time wisely and well to live lives of accomplishment and meaning. I heard this wonderful quote. Um, I was raised Roman Catholic, and I heard this wonderful quote, quote and I'll, I'll tell you who it was. He was a priest who said it, um, and I love this, and I want to share it with you. And, and and the quote was, not everything that works helps. Like, for instance, admonition and scolding and, like, just buck it up, shame, fear, right? Like, those things can work. You know, when I was raised as a Roman Catholic, it was like, go to church on Sunday or you will burn in the fires of hell. If you don't do that, you know, that was fear, shame, right? Um, you know, so, but it, but it got me to go. And it got me to pay attention to these, like, commandments. And, you know, so not everything that works. Helps, but everything that helps works. I love that. Not everything that works helps, but everything that helps works. This is a a practice to discover my true self in love and compassion. So the credit, uh, the credit for this phrase that really just landed with me um, was uh, uh, Father Gregory Boyle. Uh, and he, I, I listened to a podcast of his that was called, Can You Really Conquer Hatred Through Love? That was the name of the podcast. And uh, Father Boyle talks about uh, the practicality of this idea, can you really conquer hatred through love? by showing how the concept of loving no matter what, 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 can be used as a tool, not to condone bad behavior, but to help see people as doing their best, no matter how unskillfully they do it. Father Boyle is a Jesuit priest who founded a remarkable organization um, called Homeboy Industries, uh, which is the largest gang intervention, rehabilitation, and reentry program in the world. It's located in California. And he has a new book out called The Whole Language The Power of Extravagant Tenderness. Is that a beautiful title? The Whole Language, Whole with a W, the whole language, the power of extravagant tenderness. We are so busy and we get distracted. Why do we get distracted? I get distracted a lot. I'm a big procrastinator, even though I'm always, that's one of the reasons that I'm like trying to organize myself within an inch of my life, because I'm so distracted. It's also why I practice. I'm so distracted. Why? I was thinking about that. Why? distraction. I know I'm not the only one. And so I was thinking for myself that a lot of times my distraction is about the unwillingness to face the reality of sort of the finitude of my life. So I'm moving. I'm busy. I have things that are important in my life that I love, that feed my soul, that matter to me. But I do other things often instead of the things that most matter to me. Why do I do that? Well, my self-esteem is tied up in being effective, being competent, being efficient. I'm comparing. You know, we all, like, we're allergic to this idea of, like, hold the bar up and see how we measure up against it. You know, I think we're all allergic to that. But, like, but I do it. We do it. Compare and despair, you know? Why do we do this? You know, is it the unwillingness to face the reality of this life? Some foundational truths of this life? Old age, sickness, and death? So, you know, when I do this, that, or the other thing, and I'm avoiding the pain of recognizing that I can't ever do all the good things. There's all these good things that I would like to do, and I can't do them all. And I recognize in like sitting with this, like I have a lot of pain associated with that. I want to, there's like this food pantry that like I've wanted to go and like volunteer at. And it's like, I don't, Have time to do that. And there's like, I want to teach. I grew up in the projects in Staten Island, you know? And so like, I've wanted to teach writing to like middle and high school kids and just do like three hours a week at like an elementary school or I can't do that. I haven't been doing that. And it hurts me. I feel pain because there's all these good things that I want to do and I can't seem to do them. I think it's painful, and I, and I bet we all feel this pain too. And we all know it really down deep. You know, this unwillingness to face the reality of our finitude, is, as Father Boyle says. You know, we can face this truth though. We can give up this burden of trying to do everything, we can give up this burden of trying to get it all done. There will always be too much to do. And we will never, ever, none of us, experience certainty about the future, no matter how much we want it. Letting go of this idea, I think, of getting it all done, have to get it all done, busy, you know? Though I think it can really set us free and give us the chance to connect with the real joy of living this amazing life. So I'm not saying anything new, right? You know, this is not like brand new. I think we already know, all of us, that we'll never reach that point when life will make sense, all of it, right? Oh, one day, if I just figure it all Out, my problems will be solved. I was one of these people who had relationships for, you know, life, troubled, struggled, couldn't understand. And I really came out this way. I just need to really understand the other person. If I really understand or figure out how to explain myself really clearly, then everything will be okay. It'll all work out. It's just not true. Right? People are just who they are. And I spent a lot of my life just trying to figure out, what am I doing wrong? I'm not explaining it right. Oh, no. If they just, wait a minute, I need to read these nine novels and books, right? And that'll give me insight into how to explain. Because if the person understand, right, explain, 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 you know? Yeah, not so much. We're not going to reach the moment when it all makes sense or reach a moment of truth after which real life will begin. I've also been a bargainer in so much of my life. OK, once I do this, this, and this, then I'll be able to relax. Once I reach that goal, I'm going to graduate from college, and then this, I'm going to graduate from law school, then that, I'm going to go to grad school, then, 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 then. I don't think we reach a moment when You know, all the ducks are lined up, and then our life begins. I don't think it works that way, you know? We can end this struggle with time. We can end the struggle with time. There's no time like the present. One day, I'll be efficient enough that I'll be on top of everything. Justify my existence on this planet, right? My efforts to be super productive are going to pay off. To who? when? Not so much, right? And actually I have found, as a compulsive planner and organizer, and my what-ifing, what if, what if, what if, that these efforts actually make me busier. Uh, they give an example in the in the podcast <laughs> which I was like, oh geez, this is so me. Um, if you're real, for, for example, if you're really efficient at answering your email, right? And so I'm like, okay, I, I'm i at work and, you know, I'll have a two-hour meeting. I'll look, my, I had my inbox cleared before the meeting. Two-hour meeting and I look back, there's now 45 new emails in that inbox. I got to clean it out. So I'm going to get it to zero, get my email to zero. And then what happens is... People go, oh, Chike, she's really good at answering emails, so email her. She's going to respond. It's like it makes me busier. Now, I'm not like this is an argument for being lazy, but, you know, it's balanced perhaps, right? Um, so I'm really not, you know, my experience is that all these machinations that I've gone through to get it all done and try and be efficient and that, you know, they actually make me busier. Chike, be efficient. Be effective. Please, people. to self. Do that. Be that kind of self. You know, and then you'll be worthy of other people's love, of other people's attention. If I could just be perfect enough, I'll be worthy. What is this self? What is this self? Anyway, is it static? I remember having an argument with a partner years ago who's no no longer a partner, who would just say, look, this is just how I am. And I just remember thinking, but you speak about yourself as if you're a fixed thing. But you're not a fixed thing. I'm not a fixed thing. Like when I think about who I am, like, you know, I was born, I'm larger now than then, (laughs) right? I'm like, I was a kid at some point. I'm taller, done stuff with my hair, you know? Am I really a static thing, this self? And then we have these non-negotiable human limitations. Birth, life, consciousness, pain, suffering, death. They're just part of the human endeavor. They're just part of the human experience. They're not bad words, you know, but I've spent a good amount of time in my life trying to avoid those things. Can I hold indeterminacy and do what's important to me anyway? I'm never going to get to the end, so I think. Start with the things that matter most. Allow the anxiety. Surrender to the reality of our wonderful but finite life. No chance of getting it all done. What am I doing with my time? Dropping off body and mind. There's no time like the present. There really are so many things worth doing. We're afraid of missing out. You know, I feel that. We're afraid of missing out. What's the next thing I need to do that will make me feel satisfied? And then I'm satisfied, and it's gone. Then I'm not. One second, right? Many of us are constantly trying to seize the day. And then we feel disappointed when we don't seize the day. (laughs) Because we have like this long list of characteristics that would have made it a perfect day. Compare and despair, compare and despair. There's no time like the present. And then I had this thought too. What about the joy of missing out? Like maybe that sounds like an oxymoron but like let me say with that for a moment. The joy of missing out. Is it possible to think about it that way? Right? Have you ever thought about this? Like the fact that when we miss out on something we're choosing perhaps we're choosing things we really want. Maybe Just maybe when we make this choice and we're missing out on something else, that it's the missing out itself that's the very thing that gives our choices meaning. I'm making this choice. I could have made, I could have made all, but I'm choosing this one. I'm going to choose that step. I don't know, I think that makes me feel like when I'm making a choice, that choice matters. Especially knowing that I can't do it all and be everywhere. Wow. Dropping off body and mind. No, there is no time like the present. And then we say, our lives are short. And I was like, compared to what? Like, we just say that. We just go, oh, wow, life's so short. And I think the implication of that phrase is it's so short because we can't get to do all the things that we ought to be able to do, ought to be able to do. But really? I don't know. I don't think that's right. You know? We have the life we have. And it's an amazing gift to be able to live it. But, like, I'm... I don't know, do we, do we want to just constantly feel like we're not getting it right because we can't get everything done? I think we can let go of that idea and make a commitment right now to imperfect action. Just act. Just make a choice. Do you. Productivity obsessed, organized, Plan. Please people. For me, why? Because I grew up in a dysfunctional family. My family of origin, um, in my family of origin, um, becoming hypervigilant was appropriately adaptive. Um, It was critical to my survival. Um, I learned that vigilance and pleasing people were necessary. Literally, I'm not being hyperbolic. Um, It's just a statement of fact Um, for me to survive and have any self-esteem at all. I needed to learn to excel in those particular ways. And then what happens? You're good at something and you keep repeating it because you're good at it. Even when it's no longer adaptive, even when it's no longer helpful. You know, no shame in the f- I don't feel any shame at all about the choices I made then, but I also continue to learn how repeating patterns that once served me in circumstances that no longer serve me don't help me. I can let it go. Or hold it lightly. Hold it a little more lightly. Yeah, my attention was on others like 95% of the time. In practice, I learned first to put some attention on myself. That was hard to shift. Put some attention on myself. And then as I've practiced, I've had these questions. Then what is this self that I'm putting all this attention on? So, you know, I'm definitely one of these self-helpy people. So it's like, where am I putting my attention? On work, a lover, my child, my bills, weights at the gym. I like that one. Keep my eye on that tennis ball, not gonna get the shot. So I've lived so much of my life as if attention is one of the things I use to live. But now I think that's not quite it. I think that maybe, really, it is our life where we place our attention. It's not a tool. It is our life. Dropping off body and mind. There's no time like the present. The experience of being alive consists of nothing other than where we choose to place our attention. Is it on the internet, social media, consumerism, the idiot box? That's my mother. My mother was like, oh, you girls. I have a twin sister. You're just always like putting your attention on that idiot box. My mother was very, very serious about reruns of Star Trek. She had us log them. She wanted the name of every episode yet. You know, stop with the idiot box, parents. (laughs) You know, and the etymology of that, whose parents haven't shouted that to them most of their upbringing, is it's an allusion, you know, to the supposed mind-reducing nature of television programming or its lack of educational value, right? Uh, And and there was this article I found in the Washington Post uh, from uh, two years ago that said, all those childhood years in front of the idiot box could now be considered research, a lifetime of training, cleverly disguised as sloth. (laughs) I love that. I was doing research. That's what I was doing. I think we want to be distracted, right? You know, recognizing that in some part we want to be distracted. You know, can we own it? Do we see that? You know, distractions are not the root of the problem. Distraction is really about something we want to avoid. We're because we're trying to avoid something. You know, pointing at the distraction, we're just going to tackle that internet and take it away because that's going to solve Junior's problem. Nah, nah, I don't know. We don't even have to be intentional about it, right? I think we just conditioned to have this kind of response. We're conditioned by society to do this because focusing on what matters is uncomfortable. We want want comfort. We want joy. We want fun. We want relaxation. We want calm. And we don't want to feel anxious or, or the next thing or the next feeling or the next one, right? The first noble truth in Buddhism says desires are inexhaustible. We want this. We don't want that. The Faith Mind poem um, says this. To seek mind with the discriminating mind is the greatest of all mistakes. Rest and unrest derive from illusion. With enlightenment, there is no liking and disliking. All dualities come from ignorant, inference. They are like dreams or flowers in air. Foolish to try and grasp them. They're like dreams or flowers in air. Foolish to try and grasp them. Sickness, old age, death, indeterminacy, not knowing, can't know what will happen despite organizing, planning, thinking, thinking, thinking about the past, future tripping. What if... I've been surfing for an hour. How did that happen? Distractions are not the root of the problem. Distraction is about something we want to avoid. Hang out with the discomfort of doing difficult things. Just let it be there. This is annoying. This is uncomfortable. OK. Let it, it'll run its course. Maybe some of you have heard of Glennon Doyle. She has, we can do difficult things. I love that. We can do difficult things. It's OK. She's got a whole podcast about it. I have a song in my head um, that that I always um, think of when the difficult things and, and think about like my relationship to difficult things. Um, and some of you perhaps know Good Morning heart, Heartache. Good Morning Heartache. You know, and so the, you know. Two short stanzas from it. Good morning, heartache. Stop haunting me now. Can't shake you, know how. Just leave me alone. I've got those Monday blues straight through Sunday blues. Good morning, heartache. Here we go again. Good morning, heartache. You're the one who knew me when. Might as well get used to you hanging around. Good morning, heartache. Sit down. Just sit down. I see you. I know you. Come on in. It's okay. Dropping off body and mind. There's no time like the present. What if we didn't really mind what happens? It could maybe give us a lot of peace of mind. Oh, this is happening. Okay, what next? Instead of, oh no, this is happening. Oh great, this is happening. What if we just didn't mind? Oh, that's happening. Maybe, I don't mind what happens. We have all these problems, we're so busy, we wanna solve problems. You know, none of these problems seem that big, you know. So the question is, do you really want to be this stressed out right now, <laughs> right? Um, is it possible to be mindful of how our thoughts and emotions are arising in that moment? Yeah. Yeah, practice gives out that. We're like a perpetual motion machine of dissatisfaction. Here's the next problem. <laughs> you know? uh, sometimes... Practice with practice, sometimes I know I can give them some space and achieve some equanimity right in that moment, whatever my problems are. Practice has really given me this no time like the present, dropping off body and mind. But if you don't know how to meditate, you can't really do this. You have to think yourself through, you got to plan or organize right to a new state of being that. And to begin solving those problems. Otherwise, you know, you can't get off this ride. More thinking, more thinking, more thinking. That'll solve it. This'll solve it. That'll, right? With practice, it's possible to change your state of mind before you solve the problem. Before you think yourself through to a state of optimism. Paying attention to the mechanics of my state of mind is what... Was causing me upset. Oh, I'm agitated because I want this outcome or that outcome. I want this to happen. It's not happening, you know. So maybe just finding a new framework maybe will help. You know, are we really expecting some point in our lives when we have no problems? Wake up one morning and have nothing on our to do list. Do you actually want nothing on your to do list? You know, do you want to like learn a language or play an instrument or Oh, no, surf, (laughs) play tennis. Life is mostly about solving problems, and we can solve these, right? We treat problems like they're anomalies, you know, assuming without realizing it that we should get rid of all of the problems and avoid new problems. But really, if you think about it, it sounds kind of nuts, right? Um, You know, I've spent a lot of my life, like, sort of, Meeting new problems in this way, and it has not been helpful. Recognizing, normalizing that problems are just part of life has been much more helpful to me. Normalize that I'm going to feel anxiety and stress about my problems. You know, sometimes I'm going to feel that. I mean, isn't this to be expected? Why do we feel so surprised? Why do you feel so frustrated and angry and irritated? Do we have to? Very soon, some piece of software that I use is going to break again. Also, I'm guaranteed at some point to feel unwell. It's just going to happen. It's it's guaranteed part of my future. At some point, you too will be in a hurry, and the bus or the train is going to be late. You're going to leave home without an umbrella and get stuck in the rain. It can't be any other way. And the expectation that it can or that it should be another way, it's not based in reality. It's just not so. And this is such a great source of unnecessary suffering. This we can solve. This problem, we can solve this one by normalizing the fact that problems are going to be there They arise every day. I can normalize that I'm going to feel some anxiety and stress about my problems. There, I'm feeling it. There we go. Sit down. Sit down. Good morning, heartache. Sit down. I see you. I can make a commitment right now to imperfect action. I'm not going to get it all right. What is the point of living an examined life? To live without regret, maybe? Might be helpful to keep this aspiration in mind and always be gentle with yourself as you seek to quiet or steady your mind. Through the simplicity and the surrender in doing Zazen, we surrender body and mind and merge with universal functioning by being 100% mindful, merging the I subject with the activity of the moment, we are also dropping off body and mind. I don't mind what happens. Dropping off body and mind. There is no time like the present. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.